Welcome to Conversation Pace. I'm your host, Brian Rossetti. In episode 24, I spoke with athlete and coach Becky Spellman. Becky is the founder of Spellman Coaching. She's a four-time Olympic trials qualifier with a 240 marathon PR, and she currently runs for Wazelle. In this episode, we discuss her athletic story, her struggles with collegiate running, and her transition to the marathon. We also discuss how her training has evolved since her first Olympic trials to training postpartum as a mother of twins. We discuss the lack of guidance on safely transitioning back to running after her C-section and her injury woes as a result. As I mentioned, she's a four-time Olympic trials qualifier in the marathon, so we discuss a hot topic these days. Should the women's standard change? She has lots of thoughts on this after competing in Atlanta. Hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Becky, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we appreciate you taking the time. How's everything going in Ohio, right? It's good. It's chilly, but um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's fine. <laughs> Nothing too exciting. I don't think there's a lot of exciting things happening right now, and, and we, are, we are right in there with it. <laughs> yeah, it's like the obligatory um, start to every episode we do now is like how, how life is <laughs> how how are you holding up how is everything everyone you know safe and well and how yeah. the kids how's how's the family we're we are all doing just fine um yeah i mean we we keep to ourselves quite a bit we have a little bubble that includes uh you know some grandparents and such um but mm. by and large we don't don't see a whole lot of folks outside of that. Some running friends. How are the, the grandparents? Do they, are they nervous or anxious? Like, around, or are they very comfortable? You guys are sort of keeping to your, your pod. Yeah, they're pretty will. comfortable. Yeah. And I mean, we're lucky none of um, the grandparents, meaning like my parents, my kids' grandparents, parents um have any like pre-existing conditions or anything so i think that really and they're pretty young so i think it makes it um yeah makes it a little easier than maybe some situations nice and the kids are they in school in person or is it like a hybrid or how's how's that yeah it's hybrid for them uh well i mean it depends on the week so every thursday we find out the next week what we're doing so this week we're back in school and hybrid um so my kids will go three days this week um, and like the, the past three weeks we were e-learning. So it just depends on what level our county's at um, mm. and they're like colored levels. So if we go to purple, which is above red, we, um, we are no longer in school. <laughs> wow. So you guys, have you gone back and forth already? Yeah. Wow. Mm. And do the kids, do they seem like they're just adapting or that it's more stressful for you guys or has it? Um, you know, we're in a unique situation. Both my husband and I work from home so mm. and always have. So it's not really um, a huge thing for us. I do feel really bad for the parents that have, you know, hourly positions um, and are, you know, constantly trying to figure it all out. I don't know that weekly is the most effective method to use but um the kids i mean my kids are in kindergarten uh full day but they're they're just so resilient they're thrilled anytime they're not on a zoom call so (laughs) (laughs) 
I know. It's well, how how old are your kids? You have twins, right? I do. I have twin six year olds. Twin six year olds. Okay. So I have an eight year old who my kids are actually fully virtual, but I have um my parents actually helping. So we take them there, like they get on the bus to go to my parents and my dad works with my kindergartner. Um and then my third grader is like just she's in an office all by herself and just knocks it out. She like kind of loves it. She misses her, but she's like so good with technology and she's just, I kind of keep an eye on her. I can hear her down the hall, but for the most part, we've been super lucky. She's very independent. Yeah. Yeah. We've been pretty lucky too. It's, it's yeah. I mean, it's not, it wouldn't be my ideal situation, but it, all things considered, it's, it's been, I guess, as easy as it can be. Yeah. And we're in the same position, like, you know, working from home and mm-hmm. I sometimes take that for granted. I can't imagine. I can't either. Like, on a weekly basis. Like how do you yeah. crazy? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I feel terrible for the people in that position. Yeah. Hopefully we see um, light at the end of the tunnel pretty yes. soon. Here. Um, how about your athletes and, and you're running. How is it going? Are you seeing um, athletes really struggling with motivation now? Like, how are you kind of keeping their heads in the game and um, keeping perspective of this whole thing? Yeah, I mean, motivation has kind of come and gone. You know, there's been good and bad kind of mixed in there. I did some virtual race series uh, this year, one in the summer and one in the fall for my athletes to use. And some of them really enjoyed that and it was motivational and they were in PRs and they were excited about it. Um, and others really felt that it was just like, no, this isn't what I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can see why I personally don't think virtual racing is something I'm super interested in. Um, yeah. so I get it, but I can see the flip side of people just wanting something to look forward to, even if it's just a social media post. Um, you know, so I think, uh, you know, going, especially going into the holidays when, you know, things have gotten worse and, there's weird stress levels, um, just from the holidays, even if you're staying home, there's just a little bit of extra stress. I feel like in the air of like wanting things to be wonderful and, um, you know, all those things, especially my, um, my athletes that have kids, uh, there's just a little bit of hype. So I tried to, I've asked many of them to take a couple of down weeks. There's no big rush if they don't Mm. have a race on the calendar, which is um, pretty much everyone. (laughs) So, um, you know, just kind of working our way nice and easy through the, um, through the holidays and into January and then kind of see where things are and start planning from there. I know a lot of spring races, um, are still on calendars and people are just like, I don't, I don't know if I believe it'll really happen. So I've really encouraged my athletes to look at this time as just a nice solid base building for fantastic fall. <laughs> right. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I, I like that taking a few weeks. We, I coach a club in New York city and December is always off. Like we don't, we don't do anything. We encourage them to, do other things, you know, do less running, more cross training, do other activities and kind of get away from it a little bit without, you know, just dropping off. But, um, but I let now, now obviously is a great, 
a great time for that. So yeah. they're so virtual is I can see that. I feel like you see the people who really appreciate the community aspect of yep. the sport kind of struggling, right? With the virtual yeah. versus the more intrinsically motivated, like I'm about the process and improving, you know, it's tough to, to find that balance, I think. Yep, it is. And I mean, you've got people in the middle who don't know which way to go and it's hard to push yourself, um, you know, to your limit when you're completely alone as well. And I think for some people that's discouraging to go out and think, okay, I'm going to try to run, you know, a 10 K PR today and three miles into it. You're like, what is the point? Like you, know, you have a million <laughs> reasons that this doesn't make any sense. I, you know, maybe come up a little short on your goal and then feel like frustrated, more frustrated than it's worth. And I encourage those athletes to really like, focus on something like the mile, like something they would never focus on. Like, why mm-hmm. don't we see if you can run a faster 800 now at 42 years old than you did in, in college? Like, let's do something completely different that, you know, you would never do if this wasn't the circumstance. And I think that's been fun for some of them as well. Yeah. And I think that, um, as I've gotten older and when I start to deal with just like nagging injuries now, I, I, I don't take for granted going out and running and being able to run now. So it's yeah. been easier for me just to kind of appreciate being able to get out of the house and um, clear my head. And so hopefully we tried to like focus on that with a lot of athletes and mm-hmm. we've had a few guests like exercise psychologists who talked about like, you know, thinking about your values and why do you run? Is it just to set PRs or... Right you know, is it part of your lifestyle and, Mm -hmm. um, and how does it make you feel? And I think that's been helpful and hopefully more athletes are sort of coming to that realization, you know? Yeah. It's been cool to see it. You know, some of my athletes that were very like a type about things having to go the way they were supposed to and being very structured and seeing some of those athletes, like this is just running in the best way, not like in a you know, tearing down running sort of way. But at the end of the day, this is something I get to do, not something I have to do. This is, Mm. this is fun. This is just for joy, like seeing it that way. And I'm like, when we get back to races, you're going to race better because you don't, you're not going to, this is a terrible way to say it. But my husband says it's when you're, when you're choking the puppy, like a kid holding the puppy too tight, like, (laughs) you you know, you're suffocating the puppy. Like once you start to let go, the puppy's actually more fun. Like, so same idea. Like, once you once you're just there and loving it, running actually becomes more fun, and you you actually like find that you can do a much better job of being able to, um, I guess, accomplish the things you're looking for in running when it's a good, fun part of your life instead of a stressful part of your life. That's really cool. I love that. Um, so, where did you, Becky? You grew up in Ohio. Yeah. Yep. I was born in Baltimore, Maryland, but didn't stay there very long. Um, my fam- my dad's family is in Maryland, but um, Ohio's home for sure. And then you went, you ran it. Uh, I'll probably get this wrong, but you have to okay. correct me. Is it, is, it, is it Akron or is it Akron? Akron. Akron. Yeah. <laughs> Akron. Yep. Like the lazy way of saying it. Um, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't emphasize anything and Akron. you'll get it. Akron. Yep. Yes, I ran for the University of Akron, uh, which is about uh, 45 minutes from my hometown, um, okay. so real close to home. 
And is that where you are today or no? You're I live in I live just outside of Columbus now, which is about oh. two and a half hours. Yeah, south. And what is running in Columbus like? I've never I've never yeah. been there. Mm-hmm. It's very flat. Um, <laughs> not a ton of hills, which uh, other parts of Ohio are hilly. So when I moved here, I was very like, wow, this is super flat. Um, but there are, you know, we have a great metro park system and um, there are a lot of, you know, very strong athletes in the area. So, um, yeah, just, I mean, decent people to run with when, when it's safe, I guess. I have yeah. a small a small bubble that I, that I run with, but, um, currently, but generally there's more people that, um, are awesome to run with, but yeah, I live very close to a a, a Metro park here. Um, and I can get on soft surface, um, within like two miles of my door. So it's pretty great to, um, to have that. I'm a, I'm about 10 miles outside of the city, but downtown has a lot of bike path, um, (laughs) options and, um, yeah, I mean, Columbus is actually a pretty decent place to train. A lot of tracks uh, around here if you do speed work. So, <laughs> nice. And so have you, you've been pretty much competing or running for most of your life. When did you get into the sport? What I was, was 12. Sport? Yeah, my sister is 10 months older than me, and she wanted to do track, and I just kind of did anything Liz did. Like, <laughs> anything she tried, I'd try as well, and she was generally just a lot better at most things than I was. Um, but running happened to work out for me. She was a sprinter, and I wanted to be a sprinter, and I was wrong. And so they're like, you're going to run the mile. And I was like, no, I will not. And uh, they're like, yeah, we, we, we entered you in the mile. And I was like, okay. And I, I won my first mile. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm really, I love this. And now all of a sudden I was haughty about it. But um, yeah, you know, what, I guess finding something I was good at or maybe even possibly just something I was better at than my sister, <laughs> like yeah. made me excited about it. And yeah, I've been running since I was 12. Yeah. So I'm no, 37, so I don't know. Is that 25 <laughs> years? Yeah. That, so that was the hook. Um, yep, that was it. And, so then in, and then in college, what did you, what was your focus? Like, did you, did you realize you were more longer distance or were you still doing, you know, shorter races then? Yeah, I wish I realized I was longer distance. I actually struggled a lot in college. I ran mm. um, mile steeple ch- mile indoors and then 15 steeplechase outdoors. And my senior year, I finally started doing some decent mileage, about 60 miles a week. And all of a sudden, I was running significantly better, even in the in the 1500. Um, uh, so, my, yeah, I just I didn't have a ton of success um, in college. The first three years were a lot of struggle just trying to find my place. And yeah, until I started just really focusing on getting in decent mileage, I, I, yeah, I did not run. I certainly didn't have like a stellar career. So did, well, what was your relationship like with your coach and, and what was the coaching philosophy like there at Akron? Yeah. So, um, Scott Jones was, um, my coach and, I, I love Scott. Scott instilled a lot of really wonderful things in me. He taught me how to coach. He kind of, he had us always write our own winter training programs. And then he would just, I love you, Scott. Sorry. But then he would just tear them apart and tell you everything you did wrong. And you kind of hate yourself a little bit, but 
for someone like me, I was like, hold up, wait, what did I do wrong? I'm going to fix that. And I'm going to figure out why I did it wrong, even if you don't tell me. Um, And and he definitely came, in my opinion, was more degrading than I think is appropriate for a coach to be. But I learned a lot from him. He taught me to, you know, like let go of the decadence of things if I really wanted to be good at running and to focus on, um, you know, like the little things outside of just the running being mm-hmm. having efficient form was something Scott was very, very you know, concerned with. And the mechanics of all of it became something that I absolutely love. And, um, you know, without him just like kind of beating it into me, I don't know if I would have. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's, we had a complicated relationship, I think is the best yeah. way to say it. I, I adore Scott. I think he is a wonderful person, but we butted heads for sure. sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it wasn't too um, dissimilar to my situation, a lot of tough love, but was it more, I mean, was there much individualization? Was it just, um, there was, yeah. we had like a 5k, 5k, 10k group. They were W3 women three and then W2s, which were the, the people who kind of dipped into middle distance, 1500, maybe. And then W1s, which were primarily our 800 meter runners that Scott worked with. And yeah. I mean, our, our workouts were very much tailored toward us. Unfortunately, I think I was just in the wrong group. I should have been doing a lot more work. Um, regardless, I'm just, I don't think that it's, I'm lacking talent necessarily. I just, my body works better when I, when it's tired, I get, I don't really know how to explain it. I'm just a workhorse. My body responds better to a, a large workload. And, and you felt like you started to realize that later, yeah, career, you started running more miles and yeah, sort of, I started you know, running twice a day on my own. Uh, you know, Scott knew I was doing it and he was very supportive and was and gave me advice, of course. But I just decided I wanted to run twice every day. And all of a sudden I went from running like 520 in the mile. I know. Don't laugh. But to running 454 and you wow. know, doing I mean, it sounds silly for a miler to need that much mileage, but. And I, you know, I lost, I lost weight, um, in a good way. I was overweight for where my body wanted to be to train well and to stay healthy. Um, so, Mm -hmm. and I lost some muscle too, because I wasn't lifting as heavy in the weight room. And I think that went a long way, um, in helping me to, and I mean, I wasn't by any means like tiny, I've always been like 120 pounds and I'm five, four. So it wasn't like I was small, but I was, you know, definitely, leaner than I was in years past. And I think the running twice a day really helped with that and helped me to be able to achieve a little more in the latter year there. Yeah. And then what, 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 um, when did you start gravitating towards the marathon from there? Yeah. So after college, I I was working in a running store and a man named Matt Woods was also working there and he owned an exercise physiology lab and he was a coach of a number of people in the area post-collegiately. And, um, you know, he was like, oh, you know, I'd love to coach you or work with you or talk to you about it. And I'm like, okay. And so he's like, starts coaching me in general, like to have me run this half marathon in town, whatever. I don't, I wasn't thinking much of it. Okay. Half marathon. I'll do it as my long run. Um, (laughs) <laughs> Clearly not something I care about, but that's fine. 
And so then he's like, well, let's do some muscle testing and VO2 max testing. And he like chuckled after we have all of our information, all the data. And he says, well, you're not going to be a miler. And I was like, that's okay. Like I, I'm totally cool with the 5k. Right. And he's like, that's really funny. Like marathon. And I was like, no, I'm not, I won't. I'm absolutely not running a marathon. That's ridiculous. Like I won't run a marathon. And he was like, okay, then you don't want to be good. That's totally fine with me. Like, (laughs) I was like, dang, so harsh. And uh, yeah, Yeah, I mean, he was just like, it's fine if you don't like being good at something. I don't care. Um, Yeah. So Matt, I definitely credit Matt for pushing me in the right direction. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I th- Jack always tells the story and I, I don't quite have it. Um, but the, the gist of it was like, he talks about like the muscle biopsies where they would look mm-hmm. at the fibers and say, Oh, you know, you're a, a sprint swimmer or you're a distance swimmer. And he gives an example of someone where um, he didn't want to be a distance, you know, swimmer and, or they told him that he was, should have been a sprinter. I don't know, I forget what the story was, but the, mm-hmm. the person ends up becoming very successful at the uh-huh. distance that, that they said that he would never be good at. Um, yeah. Which was, you know, his lesson, it's kind of like, follow what you want to do and, you know, where, you're, where your heart is. But the, it's tough when... I think you, deep you, down, Matt knew my heart would love the marathon if I just did it. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so at that point, then the trajectory was really um, onto the marathon. What year was that? Uh, that was 2007. Yeah. Okay. I was going to yep. ask you, because you had mentioned, I think in your bio, right? Four Olympic trials. Is that correct? Yeah, I've run four Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. So it was 2008. Was, did you run that trials in New York? Uh, it was the women's was in Boston, but yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We were separated. That was the last year we were separated. Yes, that's right. What am I thinking? Um, I was at, I was at the New York trials to watch, but, um, uh, yeah, we were in Boston. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Boston and it, and it wasn't the Boston course. It was a, uh, correct. A different course in a way. Right. Yeah. It was like, you started like 200 meters back from the finish, the traditional finish line of Boston, Mm -hmm. I think. And you did like a little loop across the, the bridge and then went like down by MIT and did a little T and then came right back and did it yeah. again. Yep. So that was pretty quick then. So you're saying that was in 2007 where yeah. you're coming to the realization and, you know, deciding to give it a shot. And what a quick turnaround, right? I mean, how quickly yeah. did you get the standard at that point? Uh, I, I got it in my first marathon. Um, so, but... So I was supposed to, the plan was to run Columbus here in Ohio, Mm -hmm. um, in October of 2007. And I had an Achilles injury and that's very surprising for anyone who follows me, but, um, and I ended up not running. What's that? That's on my list. We're going to get to that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very long, very long relationship (laughs) we've had with me saying that word too often. And then, um, I reached out to Austin and I let them know, Hey, like I need a shot. It's February. The race is in April. Um, you know, you're kind of my last ditch effort. And they're like, no, it's a hilly race. You don't want to come here. And I was like, no, no, I do want to come there. Cause there's nowhere else to go. Oh, and, wow. uh, they were like, fine. Yeah, you can come. So went to Austin and the standard was two forty 
mm, I think it was 247. It might have been 246. And I ran 243. And it was a good day. And I was it kind of solidified the belief I had in myself, which was, um, which was nice. <laughs> and was that your first, technically your first marathon buildup or no? Um, I mean, I had built up for Columbus, uh, and my injury like was pretty acute and it happened three weeks out. So I, I mean, technically I did two marathon builds, I think. Okay. The best. Yeah. What was your goal at that point just to get under or did, did, were you disappointed or was that right um, around what you thought you could do? I, th- yeah, I think I thought that's what I could do somewhere around there. I thought I could run under. I mean, I, I didn't know cause so many people I spoke with were like, you don't know the marathon until you've done it. And I was like, you know, not everyone can't be wrong. And so it was, I was fearful, I think of the distance, which was good, but, um, yeah, I, I, I believed I could do it. I just remember thinking, and so this might tell us what the, what the pace was, what, what the standard was, but I remember thinking over and over again, every mile under 622 is, is a win. Like that's the <laughs> only, just every mile you can do that, you're winning. So, um, that, like 247. Did, did that develop in the race or was that something that was like a mantra that you had planned to kind yeah, of? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I knew what a mantra was at the time. Um, but it was just something like all throughout training. Like I would tell myself when I was really tired doing workouts and stuff, just like every mile that's under 622 is winning. So just keep plugging away. You're still there or whatever. So I guess it was a mantra. I just didn't realize, I didn't realize that was a thing at the time. Nice. Nice. Um, so then, wow, incredible. You've now, uh, made four Olympic trials. So talk about consistency over such a long long time. I mean, what has changed for you, if anything, in terms of training and and how you approach training for yourself from that moment you first qualified to now? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, um, it's kind of a big question. I mean, I ran a lot of miles getting ready for that first one. And I think it might've been a little overkill. So, um, I don't train quite as many miles. I was probably running about 120-ish back then, but it was just, it was too much for, for me, um, to stay really healthy and feel like I was, you know, gaining fitness versus just kind of hanging on to it. So running, you know, I learned throughout various cycles that running around right around a hundred miles a week for like marathon training for me works very well. And I'm able to, um, absorb workouts enough that they actually benefit me, not just are, you know, mentally there, yeah. I guess, more than anything. And as I've gotten older too, so I'm 37 now and, you know, some injuries just kept cropping up. Um, and in 2017, we start, we, you know, I started, trying to figure out, okay, how can I stop these little injuries from cropping up? What am I doing wrong? And I realized I'm training the same way I was when I was 20, you know, 25. Like I'm, I'm not 25. I'm not saying I'm old, but maybe I need to change something. So I was used to doing Tuesday speed, Friday tempo, Sunday long run, generally some portion of that at Mm -hmm. marathon pace or something, you know, moderate, uh, some, some sort of moderate pace. And I found that doing Tuesday speed, Friday tempo, Sunday long run, Wednesday speed, Saturday long tempo mix gave my body a little bit, a teeniest bit more recovery. And I'm able to absorb the workouts a lot better. And I 
finally ran PRs after nearly 10 years um, of not wow. running PRs. Um, wow. Just making that one change. Yeah, they, it was pretty days off. How often do you work in days off? Um, I mean, the past two years, I've done nothing but take days off. But um, <laughs> barring those, um, days off. I, I guess it's more on a feel for me. Like something's bugging me at all. I'll definitely take a day off. Um, okay. Nothing. I don't, yeah. And I honestly think that that's a negative thing. Um, mm. um, I would never do that to one of my own athletes that I work with. So doing it to myself um, probably isn't the best way to handle things. And I, I was actually talking to someone about it this morning that I think building in um, – you know, more rest days in an appropriate manner is a way to stay healthy as I continue to not get younger. Yeah. And so wait, I want to step back real quickly. The, you had mentioned like getting up to 60 miles and, and college Mm -hmm. and then started to thrive or or realize that more mileage you were able to thrive and, and Mm -hmm. progress. You went up to 120. How long, what was that, yeah. that window there to get to 120? <laughs> no, <laughs> long jump. enough. Yeah, I mean, I was running about 16. I ran maybe 20 miles a week in high school. And mm. then, you know, college was probably like 40s for the most part. And then 60 my senior year, um, at least the track season. And then I jumped to 100 over that summer following. Wow. And yeah, I mean, there are reasons I got injured, hindsight. <laughs> But did you love it or were you? I did. I still do, which sounds crazy, but I, (laughs) there's nothing happier than like being tired from like that kind of tired. I know it sounds silly, but I absolutely love kind of hating myself a little bit when I wake up, like, because I'm tired from like hard work. (laughs) So so then post, um, you know, pregnancy, Hmm? how much of a difference, if any, um, in terms of training volume, have you been able to, to maintain, like, have you really since been able to find that balance in the last five or six years of, Hey, I can't train like I used to, but I can still achieve the same level if I find, you know, the right balance. Have you been able to find, has that been a struggle for you or have you been able to? Yeah, it's definitely been a struggle. Um, coming back, I mean, my knee jerk reaction was, no, I'm not willing to give this up. So I'm going right back into it the way I was. And I broke my sacrum. I mean, I had a whole host of issues, um, just being, I I guess like, I don't know, not, not knowing when to quit, you know, just being kind of silly about it. And one of the great things that happened there for me as a coach is I learned, I had, I was forced to learn a lot (laughs) of what not to do, which really helps me help postpartum women, um, which is something I absolutely love doing because I was just, I didn't, I felt like I didn't have any direction. It was just, you know, I, I knew what training was and I knew what training wasn't in my mind. And I thought if I wasn't training, then what am I doing? Um, So, yeah, I, I definitely made a lot of mistakes. Um, and so the first three years were really, really hard. I mean, I qualified for the 2016 trials a year after my kids, my twins were born. And I still am not fully sure how I even honestly did it because, I, I mean, I was training a lot, but it just, there was, I don't even really remember like that whole training cycle. It was uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was doing too much for my lifestyle and just like kind of beating my head against the wall. And I got lucky that I didn't get injured before the race. So, um, 
you know, lessons learned there. And now, I mean, I can, my kids are six. They're relatively self-sufficient. I'm very lucky. My husband also works from home so I can squeeze my runs in if need be later in the day, if I'm not feeling great in the morning or, you know, just let my legs wake up, which goes a long way in keeping me healthy. Um, but yeah, it took me a solid three years to finally realize like how much strength was important that I wasn't doing, how much core was important that I wasn't doing and just being able to keep me healthy so that I could build. Um, you know, and I probably spent coming back from getting injured right after the kids, I, I spent quite a bit of time around 70 miles a week, just kind of rebuilding. And I was able to build, um, strength at that point and then move up, um, consequently, you know, 80, 90. And I want to say, I could be wrong here, but I, I don't think I even saw, uh, I qualified for the 2020 tri- trials at Eugene, and I don't mm-hmm. think I, I ever ran a week over 100 um, going into Eugene. So I don't really – it doesn't – especially with little kids, just you're on your feet so much and you're bent over so much. You're doing so many things that um, you know require your bo- your, the use of your body. For me, a good 10% um, cutback was necessary to stay healthy. Yeah. And when was the sacral stress fracture and, uh, in, in your mind, what were some of the underlying factors? Yeah. So, um, I, I didn't realize, so I lost a lot of the weight. Of course I still had plenty of skin, but I didn't realize that like my abs were so destroyed. I had no idea what diastasis recti was. I didn't know. no, I didn't realize I needed to see a PT after having a C-section. I, I, there's so many things I didn't know. And so what yeah. happened, um, you know, so I break my sacrum three weeks out from the Olympic trials and I'm like, well, like, can I break it more or can I run on it or what? And they're like, yeah, I mean, you can run it. Like it's wow. broken. There's nothing you can do. It's a, okay, I'm going to run and then we'll be, we'll be done with this for a while. And afterwards we got x-rays and, to see what was going on with my spine and essentially, so having my abs cut, um, my body was like trauma, don't use these anymore. So my entire, um, transverse abdominis wasn't firing. Um, wow. it had just shut off. So I, that, that was a hundred percent what contributed to it. I was doing, you know, core work, but I wasn't doing it using appropriate muscles. So once we figured that out, it was a pretty quick turnaround to getting healthy. Well, and once the bone healed, you know, it was a pretty quick turnaround to getting healthy and, and becoming significantly stronger and just like feeling a lot more myself. And so that my, that was postpartum about two years, but to the point where we figured out what was wrong. Um, and, and I was back up and running. Wow. That's mm-hmm. fascinating. And do you work with a lot of post like partum athletes do you kind of market or target i um, i don't know that i necessarily market or target but i i do work with a lot of postpartum athletes and i you know when i see someone kind of struggling even on social media not because i want to coach them necessarily but i like to reach out just because sure. i want i wish someone would have for me and i'm i try not to be abrasive which is my personality is i'm just a very aggressive person so i try not to be like hey let me help you let me tell you what to do with your life but more so just be like, Hey, like if you're struggling with this, no, you're not alone. Like these are real things that happen. Um, and, um, you know, I, or like I hear, I see you saying you're struggling with this, like find an awesome PT because 
I really wish one of the biggest problems I believe in postpartum health is they don't just automatically send you to a PT. Like they should, they do it yeah. for like rotator cuffs. How about your entire abdomen? Like, <laughs> I know. I, I hear this so often now where it's just yeah. kind of, they're like, yeah, like when you feel ready, you know, start running and <laughs> there's no focus on strength or anything. None. I mean, I, I knew there were some things I needed to do, right? Like I wasn't completely oblivious. I knew that it had been cut and I needed to strengthen it. But what I didn't know was I wasn't <laughs> like yeah. all the work in the world wasn't going to work because I didn't know what I was doing wrong. I didn't have someone looking at me and saying, you know, these things need to happen. Cause I mean, I run what's considered by Wazelle as professionally and they're a wonderful company and they take great care of me, but I don't have the resources that your standard professional runner does where you just have like your on-call PT and stuff like that. You know, I'm certainly, um, you know, more in the masses of the, the elite crowd of just, you know, you're kind of doing a lot of it on your own and figuring it out as you go. You don't have, have that type of support that maybe the, uh, yeah. the real pros do. <laughs> Yeah. And it's a shame because there's been such a like a revolution. Like when I was training post-collegiately, and this would be the early 2000s mm-hmm. um, and or like the you know first half of the, the first decade and of the century. But the the we the things that we were doing in terms of nutrition and strength or at least the information out there was yeah. pretty lacking, you know, just from. I'm sitting in static plank, you know, and now yeah. you know, we've got all this functional stuff and balancing yep. and, and so much more information that's out there, but I still, it just seems so lacking um, for women, you know, postpartum. Uh, mm-hmm. There's, you just don't see it. I keep hearing this over and over, but there's yeah. no, there's no one really kind of, you know, out there putting this information out, especially yeah. I mean, you can't blame can't blame them right because the doc the doctors certainly aren't aren't helping right and it's hard to find information on it i mean if you didn't go to medical school and you aren't yeah like excessively well versed in anatomy honestly you don't even know what got cut or you know or what got disrupted um i mean it's it's not all that simple to figure out and um yeah, I mean, it's there's been there have been a lot of women, um, you know, on the pro, on the professional level who have really spoken up about it and been very honest. And I, th- you know, I'm very thankful for the things that they've done because it has brought light to it. And um, at least just hearing the words, you know, when mm. you're talking to an athlete who's trying to come back and struggling through things, and you can talk about you know, diastasis recti is one of the things you hear a lot. Um, you know, people, people have heard it. It's not this extremely foreign thing to them. So they want to listen. Okay. This is something I'm interested in. This, this could be part of my problem. You know, I've heard other people talk about this and they can relate. And I think that goes a long way in them wanting to learn more and being willing to do the tedious work that it takes to, um, get your body into a position where running isn't damaging it. So fifth Olympic trials in the cards, is that something that you're, Oh you're, yeah. That's in the, okay. Sure. <laughs> that's out there, yeah. I mean, God uh, willing, right. <laughs> that's un- yeah. unreal. So, um, geez, Atlanta feels like so long ago now. I don't even know you're- if it was real. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing because like COVID now that we know like COVID was probably spreading for like three right? months before we were just that. Just handing happened. it to each other. 
we're all just hanging out in Atlanta, kind of like this is spooky. Like this thing, we kept thinking, like, is this is this really going to happen? Like once yeah. we leave Atlanta, like everything's going to shut down. Um, but yeah, it feels forever ago. But so yeah. talk a little bit. I saw you posted uh, some. I think it was Esther Atkins and and Peter Bromka wrote mm-hmm. uh, wrote a blog piece about the standards right so yeah. curious because I, th- I think you were p- promoting that too and yeah I'm curious where you stand um on yeah, so, the standards yeah yeah i mean one of the really cool things um that i you know from having run in the number of trials and over the number of years i have is the front row seat of watching in particular women's distance running grow in the united states i mean the the people the body type, the lifestyle, like the number of people that just, there's so many things that I can look at from Boston and then look at Atlanta and just see a completely different situation in the best way possible. You you know, um, you just, there are a thousand things I could list that have changed. I feel like, um, in, in such a great way to see, um, you know, women, I think, back in 2008, a lot of women, when they were done with college, it felt like there was nowhere to go. Um, you know, if you aren't one of the top 10 ish in the world in the, on the track, you're not getting a ton of money. Uh, you're, you know, you feel like you need to start a family or you need to get a career. Um, and I think a lot of women left the sport, um, because it didn't feel like there was a lot of opportunity out there. And that is not the case anymore. You can, there are sponsors. Um, (laughs) I mean, there are so many different various sponsors, so many, so many companies putting money and time and effort and energy into, um, you know, women's marathoning. And it's fantastic to see so many women like chasing after the standard mm-hmm. and then obtaining it, um, on top of that and putting, you know, putting themselves in a position where they're not just one thing, you know, they they can be, have an incredible career or in a high powered career and be an incredible athlete. I, I think it's I think it's fan it's just fascinating to me to see all of the gamuts of the people standing there, you know, physicians, nurses, people like me who, you know, coach online and don't have, you know, a, a high powered job that have, you know, and, and we're running the same type of times and we're doing things completely different and we're coming from very different backgrounds. I just I find it absolutely fascinating. So one of the amazing things I think with the standard being 245 on the women's side is women, I mean, that seems attainable. It's, I mean, it's a very hard standard running, you know, 615 pace for 26 miles is incredible. It's, it's, it is hard. It is not easy. Um, you know, it doesn't just happen for most of us. Um, but it's something that I think many people feel they can work toward. They can fa- they can fathom that pace. They can fathom holding that pace, and they see other women doing it, and it you know it's awesome. So I think that standard is fantastic. I would love to see it lowered a little bit. Um, you know, two forty four or two forty three. I don't think would change that situation uh, for the vast majority of women um, mm-hmm. to be chasing it and still um, you know bringing. Uh, women's running up, um, in the United States. Um, but I also think, I personally think the best way, um, to, I, I, I find it completely 
I don't know, like I get a little giddy when I think about it. Like I want, I, I want a cap. Like I want mm. people to hit the standard and so because, if you, because they ran their hearts out to get the fastest time they possibly could because it matters. I, I think that, I don't know why, but that just like lights me on fire. It makes me so, so excited. So if, <laughs> so if, <laughs> if the standard's 245 mm-hmm. um, and, but there's a cap of 500. Right. And you run 244.30, but you're 505th on the list. You're saying you don't get in. Right. I mean, it's the same as the track, right? You can run the B standard and you're not in the top 24. You're not in the start line of the 10K. Why do you think so? I think these stats are right. That's from this article that I was alluding to. Uh, Yeah. 2016 to 2020. I think these are the... uh, the athletes who qualified via the marathon, not the half marathon. So the numbers are a little bit under the total, but it was went from one nine. So same standard, 245 was the B. Yep. And the number went from 198 to 496. Why, think, why did the well, number think, jump so much? I think your standard, I think your regular person, your, you know, someone who wasn't putting life on the, or yeah, putting like real life on the back burner, they they saw people doing that like these women are high achieving outside of running and they're doing this i think women saw like people from everywhere are doing this i can do this too i think people started thinking why why not me why can't i what 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 makes me unable to do this if she can do this and the stories were being told you're hearing stories of women right. who run entire farms and somehow get in 90 miles a week and qualify to the olympic trials i mean that's mind blowing the amount of work and, and have four kids at the same time. I mean, you're hearing these incredible stories and you're sitting there, you've run 251 in the marathon and you're thinking, wait, if yeah. she can do this, why the <laughs> heck can't I? I'm going for it. And then, you know, you end up bringing out this amazing, you know, amazing day in yourself. And then there you are, you, you just qualified Olympic trials. I think it's, I think that has been a huge thing. And then I think the other thing that changed is the standard. The standard was 243. Um, for 2016, and then it got uh, retroactively. Oh, it was okay. I thought it was the same in 16, but it it, so we, it was it. essentially. So it was 243 until December 9th? Question mark 12th, something like that. Oh, okay. Um, and it got retroactively moved to 245. So anyone who had run under 245 got bumped in. Um, but if you're a 240 for 45 marathoner and you're trying to run 243 pace you're probably going to have more problems on race day and run 247 or 248 or 255 you know what i mean you're going to have if you're not capable of hitting 243 but you were capable of running 244 but you're trying to run 243 pace i mean you know you you understand like yeah. you're you're just going to find <laughs> you're going to find problems on race day running that you know tiny 1.5% over your current capability and so i think that a lot of women were chasing that 243 standard and ended up running 247 248 250 and then when the standard was retroactively changed they didn't um they didn't get moved in Mm -hmm. but i agree i think those stories that you mentioned kind of they almost stole the show right they took on like it those yeah. the trials took on a whole new meaning, which was really yeah. cool for the sport. And so it, it's almost, you know, I guess there is some positive aspect to 
you know, social media, and obviously many people use use it in a as, in a positive way. But I would have to argue, you know, Instagram, and um, that you certainly have women's running, and obviously Wazelle and and other brands that have come into the sport and done things differently from what compared to what we grew up with, right? Right, right. The major shoe brands, and they all did the same thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I can see all those things sort of playing a factor, right? And then it takes a few mm-hmm. years, I think, to kind of snowball and um, to build. And um, yep. so, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, so you would like to see it come down a few minutes. And- yeah, I mean, not necessarily. Honestly, the cap, I don't know why. It just completely... Yeah. Like has me smitten to see what they're gonna do. <laughs> do you think there'll be a lot of pushback? Because I can see arguments from all over. Like, let's make the field bigger. How was the field in Atlanta? I mean, I was there and it was awesome. The crowds and the loop, and I don't know if it was awesome to run that course specifically, but at least a loop course. Especially um, with the wind, the wind was yeah. The wind was a huge factor on the day. I think for all people, spectators yeah. maybe included too. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was a lot. I mean, when you stick five hundred people in a race, people are like it's a small race. Yeah, but most of these women have most of those five hundred people. So three hundred and fifty of them have run within four minutes of each other. <laughs> that's right. insane. Like that's not the same. <laughs> like. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Honestly, in my opinion, the field was too big, and okay. um, I I've, I felt that it was very crowded. I didn't feel safe for the first two miles. I was fearful of ending up like Caitlin Goodman or mm. one of the many other people who did not, um, you know, yeah. did not stay on their feet. Um, so from that perspective, I honestly. I would, I would like the cap to be closer to 300. Um, you know, if I was hand picking the race and I know that the Olympic trials is not about me and I'm going to be thrilled with whatever they choose and excited about chasing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, in all honesty, it was a very, it was a very, after two miles, it was fine, but I was also running a lot, a lot slower than the field was. So it made it a little (laughs) bit easier for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, in reality, I, I ATC did a, a job like no other, but we're talking about a comp, you know, uh, a race or I guess a yeah brand that you know has ten million dollars in revenue a year, and you know you look at someone like Houston who put on twenty sixteen or twenty twelve an an amazing, an absolutely incredible experience you know, they're looking at closer to $200,000 a year. I mean, we're not, we're, we're not, or $500,000 a year. We're not talking, not yeah. every race. Um, I know that, you know, they're not required to bid to, um, my fear is that if the race gets too big, sorry, I'm jumbling things here. My fear yeah. is if the race gets too big and knocks too many um, people or um, entities yeah. out of choosing to bid for the race or sure. not knowing what you're walking into. I mean, that's a huge if you don't know if you're hosting 600 athletes or 2000 athletes, you know, that that's enough to change people from choosing to bid. And I don't want to see the race end up not happening because no one wants to bid for it. Mm, interesting. Um, when do we find out? Do you, do you know? 
No, I don't know. Um, I heard that uh, USATF will um, announce sometime after March. I, I can't promise that this is the reason why, but that is probably in years past when IAAF will announce mm. the Olympic standards. So they okay. will gotcha. do it after that. Yeah. So I want to say in 20, oh gosh, what year would that have been? 2017, the standard was announced for by IAAF um, around that time, April, March, May, something like that. And then in July, USATF announced um, the Olympic trial standards. Um, so I don't usually knock on wood. I'll, I'll knock on wood, but it seems like your, your Achilles issues are okay at the moment and you're feeling healthy and i've seen some pics it seems like you're up training again correct and I am, yeah <laughs> how did you get over the hump and do you feel confident or is this something that you're just now used to you know it's i feel it's, confident <laughs> and do you feel yes. like you solved a piece of the puzzle um yeah longer now for some reason um uh, how, how do you see it yeah, so I had a tear in the right Achilles, a longitudinal mm -hmm. tear. Um, had that re had repair do uh, done on that in um, the summer of what year is this? In the summer of 2019. So that made the trials a fun comeback. But then um, the other Achilles was having very similar issues. I didn't know if there was a tear. I didn't feel like dealing with MRI. So we just went ahead and did the procedure. The doctor seemed to think there was, in fact, a small tear, but he didn't think it was nearly as damaged as the other one. Um, so same procedure, Tenjet, uh, procedure, and then later PRP injection. And so I've had the procedure that now on both legs, the other one was, uh, July of this, um, summer. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've come back really, really slow this time. I've been very mindful of the things I learned round one and I have a lever running system that is on my treadmill so I can use that, um, I use it to just allow my body some adaptation time um, or if things just kind of do flare up a little bit. But I mean, by and large, it's, it's progressing. My, this is now my left Achilles. So my left Achilles is progressing just like my right one did. And uh, wherever some wood is knock on it again for me, but um, the, the right one is, is, uh, is the best it's been in years. So I'm pretty okay. excited about, um, the potential for things to go, <laughs> to you, go well. Yeah. Are you just back happy to be out running yeah. and training more or are you already kind of, how do you look at next year? Um, yeah. it, it doesn't seem like regardless of how successful the vaccines are, just, uh, we're not going to have huge gatherings, even right. if they're outside in the spring. Um, sure. so how are you? Even if we allow them, do I want to be in them? Eh. Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, this spring is going to be all about building. I might, if there's a local half marathon or something, I might do one um, just for uh, not fun might be extreme, but like for fast fun. But I will probably, if there are local 5Ks that allow you to like start with your run group, I might mm -hmm. do something like that. Um, or if they, it's just for like, you know, the schools around here have some 5Ks, do it for that just to support the schools. Um, they do like, you know, complete stagger where you can start by yourself. So something along those lines um, or time trials, um, 5K, maybe 10K. That sounds like a long time trial. So I don't know if I'll really do that, but 5K <laughs> um, or mile, just fun stuff, get some speed back and really just start building a base. Um, I'd like to be 
ready to train hard this summer with um, the belief at this point, my beliefs may change in between now and summer, but um, that fall we'll have races. So I'd love to, I'd love to chase after sub 235 or um, a, a half marathon PR in the fall. That's awesome. We're excited yeah, I'm to really excited about it. <laughs> yeah, we're excited to follow you. And um, you. so, just I guess lastly, what what are some of the big lessons you feel like you've you know learned these last few years that you're trying to transfer to your athletes? Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like something I learned pretty I don't know how long ago, quite a while ago, is just to roll with the punches. I mean, this mm-hmm. sport can be nasty. It can be mean, but it can also be wonderful, embracing and beautiful, but you're not going to get one without the other. And if you can roll with the punches, deal with the tough days, you know, the, which are tough years, I guess, if that's the case, you know, the, there's always good out there. Even if you're, you know, even when I'm in my sixties, if I'm lucky enough to still be healthy enough to run, to run, you know, maybe it's not a PR that is the great day that's out there, but it's just that day you feel that feels effortless or, you know, a race where you meet someone that, um, you know, you got to help pull along and see them achieve something, whatever it might be. Um, you know, I think that, yeah, the number one thing that I learned before even COVID happened, which has been a blessing to feel like I hold on to it is yeah, to roll with the punches, to never let anything. And I am a, I am a peaks and valleys sort of emotional human. So to never, to never let anything get you too high or too low in the sport isn't easy, but, um, it goes a long way in, um, you know, eventually achieving what you're, what you're seeking. That's great. Becky, thanks for sharing today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Good luck to you and your athletes and, uh, we'll be cheering from afar here. Thank you. Same to you. I appreciate your time. All right, take care. All right, you too. Bye. I've been over here.